I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockist Nationwide. Hello again, that's right, we've only gone and got ourselves a sponsor. Many thanks to Remus Uomo for coming on board. Did you know that's how it's pronounced? Because I had absolutely no idea. This is, it's a sort of pre-mark, primark, little, little type of debate, isn't it? Yeah. But like I mean, I had I had I was just saying Remus Umo, which I'm sure a lot of people were, and just I think a lot of people were like wrong. from whenever they had the, you know, the association with Ulster. Um, I did that like Italian class last year, but then <laughs> went to Italy and realised that I couldn't actually speak Italian, so I'm not <laughs> not the authority on it. But I had my suspicions that uh, it wasn't being said right. But because now, it means man. In Italian. Italian, yeah. New sponsor, but same lineup this week with me, Gareth Anna, as always, are Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McCandry. Hey, guys. This week, the lads got a big interview with Ireland captain Rory Best at Carton House. What a, a first for the podcast, a one on one with the Ireland captain. Yeah. Unbelievable uh, scenes. Probably our last one. Yeah, well, probably, yeah. Without pulling back the curtain too much, it was before the cuts had started to come, so. Yeah. Um, so he's not given any reaction to what we're about to talk about. No, but uh, at that time of year, and uh, you've got through the preseason block, and the games are just about to start. That's when everyone's in uh, in the best form because the sort of stresses of selection haven't come on yet, and everyone's happy just to uh, have a rugby ball in their hands again. Yeah, uh, I was in the equally glamorous surroundings then of my hometown in Lurgan. I was dropping in on. A joint training session with Ulster Rugby and the Armagh GAA squad, so you can hear all of that a little bit later. But first of all, right, like, what does Joe Schmidt think he's doing? <laughs> John Cooney has been cut and nobody saw it coming. I mean, two hours before it was announced, you had heard a whisper of it, so I was on Google seeing what was being said, and there were a few articles put up literally an hour before talking about how Cooney was going to be such an asset to the squad. Nobody saw this. Yeah, I, I saw a few of those articles coming out, and as you say, it had been sort of after the uh, the first whispers of it had started. Um, I th- like I personally think it's a strange one because, as I wrote about in the paper today, the stresses, the unique stresses of a World Cup, are such that versatility is king. Like you're not a, in an awful lot of cases, I would argue that you're not bringing your 31 best players. Mm-hmm. For instance, I think if you're bringing your 31 best players, there's no debate about whether or not Ty Byrne goes. Mm-hmm. But you bring 31 players to fit into a squad to cover as many eventualities as possible. Yeah. You know, That's what we've talked about in, in the back row and things like that over the last couple of weeks. You know, Those have been the debates. How many players can you get that can play multiple positions so that you can do as much as you can to get through this tournament yeah. with the lowest toll on the key frontline players in your squad. And obviously, as somebody who has played nine and ten mm-hmm. professionally, like there's an awful lot of talk about, you know, oh, Joey Carberry played nine for UCD or Gary Ringo's played on the wing for Blackrock, you know. <laughs> 
It's not a bit different. Yeah, it's not the same. It's like, you know, oh, Stuart McCloskey was a scrum half at Bangor Grammar. Like, <laughs> is there any chance that he could have done the job as the third nine? You know, I think it's a strange one. No. Yeah. Basically, the stats are that your third nine does not play an awful lot. I think we mentioned Russ Petty last week for his stats. Came up with another good one about the third nine and the limited minutes that they get. We've seen... England have just done away with having a third nine yeah. from their squad that they announced this week. The strange thing for me is Ireland did it the last time mm-hmm. and you'd think that it almost ended up costing them because you know Madigan was having to take reps at nine. That's less reps that he was getting at ten and then ultimately mm-hmm. it was him that had to play the quarterfinal against Argentina. It could be a similar situation mm-hmm. again. Throw in the fact that Joey Carberry might get reps at fifteen. Well, still in the fact that Joey Carberry's not going to get a hell of a lot of reps at any stage over the next four to six weeks. Yeah, because he's because a, we're basically guaranteed that the next time he plays is going to be at best the Scotland game. Yeah, like fingers crossed, the Scotland yeah. game. So even for training, I would have thought the fact that John Cooney can run at mm-hmm. nine and ten, throw in the fact that he can kick as well. Um, in ninety-five successful kicks for Ulster. In the Pro 14 over yeah over the last two seasons, and high pressure ones as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the fine margins. If it hadn't been for John Cooney nailing late kicks, they sort of lost their first two games of the season. Instead, they won them. You know, yeah. Um, all valuable assets for a World Cup squad. So we have gone at length there as to why John Cooney should still be in the Ireland squad. So why is he not? He hasn't played an awful lot of minutes under Joe Schmidt. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at his caps, an awful lot of them are in the three minutes, four minutes, five minutes range. Yeah. I think there was one that was only one minute. And. I'd love to play for Alan for one minute. <laughs> it's one of those debates of how, like, how long could you get through before everybody realised that something horribly wrong had happened and somebody who shouldn't be on the field had been put on? <laughs> like, <laughs> how long would it take to be brutally exposed? You're talking about me, Ryan, John Cooney, there just for anybody. Well, abs- no, absolutely, <laughs> but it's the same with football. Like, you know, how long would it take if Northern Ireland were playing like Cyprus? How long would it take for the crowd to realise that you were like an interloper? Yeah, like you that know? guy who played for Southampton who said he was John yeah. Cooney. <laughs> yeah, they, they bought the wrong one or brought in the wrong one. <laughs> that was Graham Souness, wasn't it? Um, but. Ali Dia. Ali Dia, that's, that's it, the name. Yeah. I knew it would come to me. Um, I think if you talk about say Kieran Marmion of a few years ago you think back to the Wales game in Cardiff not last season but the last time Ireland were in Cardiff and you know Conor Murray's playing on with like one arm before Joe Schmidt will bring Marmion on and now we've seen Marmion play a huge role against the All Blacks it takes a very long time to earn Joe Schmidt's trust Marmion now has but as I said, it's not that long ago since Joe Schmidt was persisting with an injured Conor Murray rather than bringing Kieran Marmion on. But obviously you just get the impression that John Cooney hasn't got enough credit in the bank to be there yet. And it's one of those things that he, he couldn't be doing any more for Ulster. Yeah. And he's not getting the chance when he plays for Ireland, so what can he do? Yeah. You're sort of in that situation that we talked about with Kieran Marmion a few years ago of you literally have to wait 
for the incumbent to be completely ruled out mm-hmm. so that you're almost forced to get that chance it seems if you're taking out the versatility out of it is that pure purely based quality wise is, is this the right decision I don't think so I'm just using so I was just using the versatility argument as yeah. Something why I was so sure that he would go to the World Cup mm-hmm. because that's so valuable at a World Cup. If you were to ask me rather than Joe Schmidt, is John Cooney one of the three best nines in Ireland? Absolutely, mm-hmm. I think. And is he one of the two best nines in Ireland? I think he's very, him and Kieran Marmion are very close, yeah. very close together. I think Cooney's able to replicate what Conor Murray does better than what Kieran Marmion can and I think sometimes we've mm-hmm. seen you know sometimes players try and play like Conor Murray sometimes you get the sense that even a 10 will try and play like Johnny Sexton when somebody like Joey Carberry has really different attributes it, maybe we saw a deviation away from that on Saturday mm-hmm. with just the difference that Joey Carberry brought to the game but for me I, I would have had him in there and I think it it must be difficult for him because, you know, you're talking Pro 14 Team of the Year. He's been Ulster Player of the Year. It's very difficult to see what more he could do in an Ulster jersey. But, like, you know, we've already seen with Stuart McCluskey that that's not the, that's not the sum total of the decision, what you're doing with your province. We were talking on Monday in our attempt to record most of the podcast which a lot of which had to be scrapped but here we are um, that Ireland might bring six halfbacks they're now not going to do that but is it a case that Joey Carberry's injury has actually cost Cooney's place would this still have happened if Carberry hadn't got injured well this was something that I heard sort of earlier in the week that it looked like he- Regardless, the plan was to go with the same squad breakdown as there had been four years ago, which would have meant the two scrum halves. But I think Joey Carberry's injury and the potential for him not to be ready mm-hmm. um, for that Scotland game meant that it was non-negotiable that you were having to take a third out half, probably Jack Cardi, I would say. And then your options are either you don't take a third scrum half or you lose somewhere else, be that a fourth centre or a fifth outside back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andrew Conway played well, Chris Farrell played well. And we said before about the limited minutes that a third choice nine gets, it really is almost in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you can see, or I can see certainly, the fourth centre, if as we assume that would be Chris Farrell, certainly playing against um, Russia, Samoa. Joey Carberry, I think, as presuming he's fit, starts those Russia and Samoa games. Um, Andrew Conway, you could see him playing at fullback or wing in either of those games as well, you know? Yeah, so um, that's how Joe Schmidt's balancing it then, probably, and... Even then, in cases of emergency now, if Cooney has dropped out already at this stage, it's unlikely that he's even going to be in line for the, the first injury call-up if something's done. Yeah, because you would assume if something happens at nine, then it's 
somebody who's still in the squad. Yeah. So that's to me at the minute that's Luke McGrath mm-hmm. because yeah. he's going to be the third choice. I'm assuming unless something yeah. surprising happens happens with Marmion. But you know, at the last World Cup, Jared Payne goes out with injury, a centre, and it's scrum half, Owen Redden that's called up. Mm-hmm. And that to me was another sort of surprise surprising element because you look at four years ago and him bringing a third nine halfway through the tournament, it was almost like saying maybe I should have had three nines <laughs> yeah. to start with. And yeah. maybe that was a lesson that he was going to take forward. The way that yeah. he changed the makeup of the squad during yeah. that tournament when injuries yeah. happened. But obviously yeah, that's not. True. That's interesting. John Cooney posted up on Twitter shortly. Like it's just it's pretty heartbreaking just on a, a human level, isn't it? Like from what he's done at Ulster, we've talked about it and what he well, we feel he deserves it. But uh, he just posted up this quote on um Twitter saying in life our first job is this to divide and it's quite deep to divide and distinguish things into two categories externals I cannot control but the choices I make with regard to them I do control where will I find good and bad in me in my choices and he's just included then the date 27th of September which is Ulster's first game I'm assuming which is not right, okay. yeah. obviously what he's looking towards so uh, I suppose he's now just making the choice to go and give us all for Ulster look from a really selfish Ulster point of view not have John Cooney for the next few months which they weren't going to have probably didn't think they would have but uh, it's hard to really um, get excited about that in this circumstance it's not like yeah well I think you know to not be accused of having an Ulster bias because by and large I don't really care <laughs> who the squad or which provinces the squad is made up of it doesn't particularly bother me either way to be 100% honest but we like John Cooney yeah. you know we spent yeah. a decent amount of time with him um, he's an interesting guy he's a really nice guy so Sorry. not because he plays for Ulster yeah. but he's somebody, somebody that you, know. you would like good things to happen to because yeah. he is such a nice person yeah absolutely you know yeah. Um, so in that sense, looking at it completely away from a rugby point of view as well, there's a disappointment there just because it's, mm-hmm. you know, I think it would have meant an awful lot to him. Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who's 29 and yeah. only won, you know, his first caps two years ago. Yeah. Um, To be going to a World Cup, you know, it'd be 34 or 33 by the time yeah. the next one rolls around. Yeah, so... Uh Disappointed, and he interacted with the podcast on Twitter last week, so he was a friend of the show. He is a friend of the show. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, uh, that oh, it's probably good news then. Do you see this spot then? Because uh, we had talked on Monday and you've mentioned it already that Andrew Conway and Chris Farrell now, you reckon, are both, because you talked at length on Monday about how impressive they were on Saturday, but that you felt one of them was probably going to drop out. But good news for those two, you reckon they're probably both on the plane to Japan at this stage? Yeah, because I figured that just that Joey Carberry injury might shift Joe Schmidt towards six halfbacks. I thought that might change his plans in that regard, that he might just want the extra body, assuming that Carberry, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to know if Carberry or how much Carberry can give in training until they get out there because they're, they're flying out quite far in advance of the tournament, obviously just to get acclimatised and stuff. But that now, to me, doesn't look like it's the case. It, if you're looking at the squad, as I said, it looks like it's going to be a carbon copy of what it was 
four years ago, which mm-hmm. means four centers and five outside yeah. backs. Um, no surprise to anyone, I don't think, to see Mike Haley as one of the cuts. Um, he was surprise inclusion sort of in the first place and we should mention well obviously Finley Beelham um, dropping out I think as soon as Andrew Porter emerged as the guy that was going to be the tight head Lucid, that was bad news for Finley Beelham who has yeah. played Lucid before and Mike Haley obviously going doesn't affect Andrew Conway or Chris Farrell either because we didn't expect him to be yeah. in the squad the only one that might and the one that I find maybe interesting was Will Addison didn't get cut from the squad despite mm-hmm. having an injury last week that saw him miss a bit of training. So there's still that part... Because in our Monday record, we were so careful. I was like, right, let's not mention Will Addison too much. Yeah. In case he gets yeah. cut and we'll have to change it on Thursday. Not, not due to his ability, just the fact yeah. that um, you know he had, I suppose, another mistimed injury. Um, but he, he still... Has to play against... Now, but he's think. he's still there, and that that to me is interesting, mm-hmm. because you know he's come in late, he's been injured during it, and he's still there. So there must be some part yeah. of in Joe Schmidt's mind that he wants, whether it's for now or for when an inevitable injury happens in the back line, that he wants Will Addison to be up to speed with the plays. Mm-hmm. So that if there is an injury, he yeah. can slot in. I personally would still think that, just given the situation, it is still Farrell and Conway, but Addison's still lurking there, mm-hmm. which is was obviously Cooney was the eye-catching part of it. But if it had been somebody else and not John Cooney and the other two guys, I think it would have been the story from our perspective. Yeah. Almost would have been that Addison was still there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you're right; it did get lost. You for, forgot about him, but. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see then um, next week, uh, come the England game, what what that lineup holds. So when do you expect the next players to be cut? We're at 40 now, need to get to 31. Is it just going to stay 40 until it becomes 31? I think that it will do. And this is the reason why, I suppose, would be, you know, Josh made a real point of, you're not cutting off your nose to spite your face in these situations. So you want everybody... Everybody now that's in the camp is either in that 31 or one injury away mm, from yeah, being in the yeah. 31, depending on who yeah. the injury is to. So you need all those players still up to speed. They need yeah. to know all the plays. They need to know everything that you've been working on so that if somebody gets injured against Scotland, uh, or two or three players get injured against Scotland, yeah. and they've got six days until the Japan game, two of which are going to be spent travelling to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have time to be like, oh, by the way, yeah. th- this is what we did in the three, <laughs> the three weeks that you missed, yeah. you know? So, like, it seems an awful long time ago now before uh, the Cooney cut and everything, but Ireland did beat Italy 29-10 on Saturday, and there was a try for Jordy Murphy. So how did how did he get on? Uh, Joe Schmidt afterwards was quite complimentary about all of his back row forwards. Possibly, I think, because... He'll have been aware that the one who was going to grab the headlines was Tag Byrne for his performances coming on, I think, 61 minutes. Um, within a minute, had one turnover and stole another one um, before before the game was out. Um, it was interesting, the back row, I think, because that was one of the... Well, actually, sorry, that was probably the area that I think 
there was the most riding on it because all three of those guys starting are probably going for one place, I think. And then the one that certainly in the eyes of the public will have made the biggest stride, maybe not the eyes of Joe Schmidt, but in the eyes of the public, that took the biggest stride towards the World Cup was the man with 20 on his back rather than 6, 7 or 8. So what will Joe Schmidt's eyes uh, of it all have been then? I think, you know, with what he's looking for out of his back rowers um, isn't necessarily what everyone will have focused in on, which is the impact that Tyg Byrne made. Now, for the purposes of, I suppose, tracking how I feel like these things are going, I picked what I thought, not what my squad would be, but what I thought Joe Schmidt's squad would be before the game on Saturday to judge whether I thought anything had changed over the weekend and over the next couple of weeks. And if you look at the the burn situation, um, and I know Adam disagrees on this, so he might jump in after this, I think John Klein's going to go as the fourth lock. So I think if burn goes, it's as an impact sub. He gives something else, something that the rest of the Irish team probably don't in just the rate of turnovers. There's a few players in Europe that turn the ball over at the rate that he does. But if Joe Schmidt was as enamoured with him as the general rugby watching public are, then he would have played more in the Six Nations. That's a fair point, but at the same time, you can't ignore the amount of work that Byrne does. Like You look at the turnovers, the tackle rate that he gets through, for Munster, and I know coaches have their favourite players and they have players that suit what they're trying to do more than others do, but when you just see all the capabilities that Byrne has, especially coming on as an impact sub, which is something that he hasn't done for Munster quite so much because he's been so integral to what they do, but if you have that ability to bring him on as an impact sub, as someone who can give you some big carries, some big turnovers at key moments... Um, and just a, just a very big work rate in that back row or even as a lock. And again, that, that's where versatility comes in as well. You know, the ability to play Byrne at lock and back row. Klein can do it as well, but not quite to the same extent. Byrne is a proper, you know, sort of five and a half where he can play lock or back row just as, you know, he's equally adept at both. Whereas Klein is more of a lock who can shift to the back row if necessary. So... There's a lot weighing on it, you know, the, that you have to take pros and cons. I think Klein probably does maybe have a bit of a, a bit of an inside track with Joe Schmidt in that he just sort of favours what Schmidt's trying to do. But at the same time, whenever you're limited in who you can bring to a World Cup, Byrne just Byrne immediately has that leg up on everyone else because you can slot him in and he kind of fills one and a half spots as opposed to just one or. Or maybe you know half a spot. I'm not quite sure how to word that, but he he's the kind of guy that you can bring, and you know that instead of having four locks and five back rows, you've effectively got five locks and six back rows in a way. I just think that if you look at what Joe Schmidt has always liked to have in his squad, and I talked about this last week, it's not two locks; it's a four and a five. And John Klein is a five. He's the phrase that Joe Schmidt used on Saturday to describe him was a stock standard tight head lock. And you look at how the scrum went. 
with Klein in behind Andrew Porter and then John Ryan. Um, the power coming through that tight head side was fairly formidable. And I think the Italian front row obviously had a debutant tight head and in in total less than 20 caps between the three of them. But the scrum dominance was uh, one of the real highlights of that first half. The scrum that Ireland lost, gave away the penalty, was the 10 minutes that uh, Jean Klein was in the blood bin. So that's something that, for me, really pushes him in there. The other thing as well is that if Joe Schmidt didn't have serious designs on bringing Jean Klein to the World Cup, he wouldn't be there. Because... At the end of the day, the guy only qualified for Ireland last Thursday. It would be a complete waste of time getting him up to speed if you weren't going to bring him to the World Cup. Yeah, that's probably fair. You wrote a piece today, Jonathan, then about the players who uh, took most away from Saturday or maybe improved their standing most on Saturday. Klein was one of them. Mm-hmm. The other two, Andrew Conway and, and Chris Farrell. Chris Farrell playing at 12, or we've seen him more at 13, I thought was really, really good. The little bit, just that little bit of invention um, for the Joey Carberry try was probably one of the nicer attacking moves in the match that we saw. Um, he's already proven that he can play 13. You know, he's got a Six Nations Man of the Match award playing 13. So for him to play 12, show that he can do that as well, just brings in that versatility that we talked about. And Andrew Conway, there's, for me, Earl Stockdale, Rob Carney, and Jordan Armour nailed on. He's taken a max. I know we've seen Eddie Jones today, named six, but that doesn't make any sense to me, really. There's a max of five back three positions there, and I think Conway was probably the front runner for that fifth one. But he just showed why he's been such a sort of trusted part of what Joe Schmidt's done, really, for the last sort of two years. Um, Take his try well, didn't have a hell of a lot to do, but just the, the kick chase... The understanding, even with Joey Carberry, that he had. Obviously, they've um, two Leinster guys both now playing together at Munster. Um, the understanding that they had playing together with the kicks to the wing, the chase. He was actually he was somebody that was up during the week at Carden House, and he was talking about how he, obviously, everyone who's ever played under Joe Schmidt says this, but how he understands that the whole team has to make each other look good. You know, if he chases a kick, it. Uh, makes the kicker look good if the kick's good it makes his kick chase look good so on and so forth and then I just think he probably got a leg up on the likes of Dave Carney he, the ball didn't really come his way apart from when he scored and the one that just sort of bounced up from or bounced up and away from him and obviously Will Addison um, missing out a bit of training this week still only um, you know, still hasn't played since January, so that's going to go against him. Whenever you're looking at back three selections, Conway playing well was the worst thing that could have happened for Will Allison in terms of competing for one of those backline spots. Because in a similar way to Johnny, I, I think there's no way Schmidt's taking uh, more than five back mm-hmm. uh, back three players, and that means he's taking four centers. So. It's then about working out, you know, okay, who's going to miss out? And Addison, if he was going to go, was probably going to go as a back three player who covers centre, which is, I think, the opposite to what I said last week. But just having spoken about it when we were down in Carton House, I think that's probably how it's going to go. 
So Addison needed to for someone else to probably play poorly to work his way back into the conversation uh, in order to be one of those ones going. I think the, the kick chase is something that's very interesting because it's one of the least talked about sort of tactical size of the game because for most people you know a kick chase is just you kick the ball away and it's whoever's quickest to the ball first but there's so much goes into you know okay if I kick the ball who's going to be chasing it if I'm going to kick it where are you going to be chasing it are you going to try and preempt where I'm going to kick it or whatever Conway's just so good at reading where whoever's fly half is kicking the ball you know it's, it's very rare that Conway will be far away from where the ball is going to go and I think that's something that Joe Schmidt really likes I mean we talk about it repeatedly nobody is in this squad because just just because they're there you know they're there because Schmidt likes them and Schmidt sees the value in them and Conway has been a constant for Schmidt over the last year at least if not more so there's a lot within Conway's game that Schmidt likes and I think he probably has taken himself uh, up a lot higher. Think he's a front runner now, or just? I think if, if you're if you're talking about that final spot, that sort of fifth spot for the back three, I think Conway's sort of at the top at the moment. And to be honest, unless Addison comes in and is given the chance to to really show what he can do against Wales and England then I, I don't see Addison displacing him. Richard Moore wants to know, is Jack McGrath going to miss out on the World Cup? Seems like it. I mean, look, being hauled off at half-time in the first warm-up game certainly doesn't suggest that he's being given a, a fair crack at the whip, but being able to prove that he's going to be one of the props going. And whenever you need to have one prop who can play both loose head and tight head, that... That means you're battling for four other spots. Now, Kane Healy's definitely going. Tag Furlong's definitely going. Um, we're At the moment, we're saying Andrew Porter is going to be the guy who plays loose heads and, and tight head, and it seems very unlikely that he's going to be ousted from that role. So that means you're battling for one loose head spot between himself and Dave Kilcoyne. And Kilcoyne was the one who was ahead in the pecking order in the Six Nations, so certainly suggests that McGrath's probably going to be the one on the outside looking in, unfortunately. He's got three games to prove Joe Schmidt wrong, but as we were saying last week, these games really aren't sort of for proving the coach wrong unless it's a genuine 50-50 between Mm -hmm. one player and another. This is more, you know, getting guys into fitness before the World Cup. So at the moment, yeah, I would say Jack McGrath's going to be one of the ones missing out. You never know, but I would be surprised if he was the one going at this moment. He didn't do enough to change any anything in last weekend, anyway. Well, like Joe Schmidt said afterwards that he was very pleased with McGrath's yeah. performance. He said that he had always planned to give Porter twenty minutes at loose head. Porter had a very good game at tight head, but it seems to be the guy, the furlong of four years ago that's mm-hmm. going with the ability to play both sides of the scrum. Like, John Ryan has done that before, and Finley Bielham's done it before. Finley Bielham had done it for Ireland before um, Andy Porter had, but Andy Porter came up as a loose head. It was only really two years ago, with the depth, ironically enough, with Kane Healy and Jack McGrath that Leinster had at loose head. They mm-hmm. thought um, he they, they would be better served with him as a tight head. Um, 
I personally, at the minute, would say that it looks like he's going to miss out. But again, I would have said that it looks like he was going to miss out before Saturday because um, Dave Kilcoyne had played and played well um, during the Six Nations. Yeah, the other question we had sort of in relation to Saturday's game haven't changed anything was from Big Jim who wanted to know as Chris Farrell nudged ahead of uh, Will Allison which we've, we've probably mentioned given that Chris Farrell was in our discussions there as potentially going to the World Cup and we're looking at Will Allison not having played any matches and unlikely to. Yeah, like, but I mean Chris Farrell has obviously more pedigree as well with Ireland than Will Allison's been able to because he's played so much more and Joe Schmidt has trusted him in big spots before. Um, where Will Addison would have been, still could be, a huge boost, I think, to the World Cup squad is the versatility. Like, he could have played centre or back three. So it'll be interesting to monitor that, I suppose, mm-hmm. over the next 10 days, building into the England game where Joe Schmidt said he'd expect to make 10 to 12 changes from the team that played Italy. Yeah. That Allison needs to or Allison needs to get on the pitch. Yeah. Basically against England or it's it's game over. Um anything else really of note then from the weekend that we haven't covered? That was interesting how much Ireland kicked the ball. You know, you go back to 2014, 2015, where that was such a key key aspect of Ireland's attacking game. You go back to that was it twenty six three against Wales? Um in the Six Nations that year. Um just how airily dominant they are, something that they've got away from recently because there's so much emphasis placed on retention of the ball and going three minutes, four minutes, 30 phases holding on to the ball. Whereas just with Carberry um, at 10, there was so much willingness to kick the ball, just um, kicks to retain, kicks in behind. There was a real sort of variety to things. Now, it wasn't it wasn't that Ireland were particularly sharp, Um Sometimes when they got in closer to the line, it looked as if they were almost willing to go through the phases rather than go wide early. Mm-hmm. When they could have scored, had they went wide early, it was almost like they were, I suppose, trying out a few things in terms of their the sharpness of their attack, which hadn't been there during the Six Nations. But it was just it was a it was a different attacking game plan, I thought. Um. And then I suppose the other thing that really jumped out to me was just the Jean Klein Andrew Porter combination in the scrum, which we've already talked about. Yeah. I, was, I was a little bit surprised at how poor the crowd was in terms of numbers. Like I know we discussed last week about how it was competing with so many other things. GAA was on at Croke Park. I was I was a little surprised it was that low, um, but. As we said, it's a World Cup warm-up game against Italy at 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. It's not exactly prime time. But at the same time, I thought there'd be a few more people who'd talk out to see the game. I think I it's funny too for saying last week about how pointless it was. I think there would have been loads more people from Ulster until they listened to our podcast last week and then decided they weren't going to bother. We can just hold our hands up right now and say sorry. <laughs> it's funny because if you look at the England game in Twickenham, there is 80,000 and an almost sort of carnival atmosphere to it because it's so hard to get tickets for Twickenham at any other time so you get people able to go to the games that aren't normally able to go which you think would tally into Ireland because it's so hard to get Six Mm. Nations tickets but just from people I was talking to people that would always want to try and get Six Nations tickets there just wasn't the same interest because 
um, it was a friendly. So I don't know, like I don't really know why there's that difference. Obviously, England have many, many, many more people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Than Ireland does. Plus, I don't think you can downplay the fact that um, the big sporting event of the day in Dublin was happening on the other side of the city an hour later. Yeah. Like, there were so many people leaving early that it made me think that they really? must they must have been going to Croke Park yeah. because they were leaving so early into the second half. Yeah, probably were. And then, you know... Everybody it, up here was... The Irish League was starting, so... Well, that's oh, it, you know. going to watch the, the big tickets in town. And then, right. e- like, even in the media room, it felt very sort of empty because, you know, so many of the journalists that normally would be there were on GAA duty. Yeah. And then you had a sort of crowd of Japanese journalists in to make up the numbers and then a large crowd of people from Navy like sort of scoping out the place mm-hmm. for the college football that's on in Navy sort of this mm-hmm. time next year right. so it was a strange sort of like atmosphere, atmosphere yeah, to it but. Um, well let's give a little bit of an optimism update then because there doesn't seem to be any anymore um, everything was looking so well and what a, a year ago and now everybody seems to think that uh, Ireland's goose is cooked Kyle Johnson says can Ireland hold off Russia for fourth place in the group he's not optimistic he says Donald said it's true you can replay the team that's in front of you but for a quick ruck based team I thought Ireland's ruck was under resourced and ball was relatively slow against a relatively poor Italian team contrast to the rucks in the Australian Australia versus New Zealand game he's the fear setting in already uh, it was a meaningless warm up game against Italy <laughs> with a team that will feature about six of the guys who will go to the World Cup that's an exaggeration but why anybody's drawing any conclusions from that game I don't know the only things you can draw from that game are a few people had decent games and might have improved their World Cup stock by about half a percent like but let's not try and make too much of this game these warm-up games are getting guys into fitness and trying to get them running a few moves that are similar in style to how Ireland are going to play during the World Cup. It's it's nothing to do with uh, guys sort of playing their way into form or this is how Ireland are going to perform during the World Cup. It's purely just a way for Schmidt to give guys some game time, to get guys back playing with each other, build, build a bit of chemistry, and then we'll go to Japan and the previous month and a half will be completely meaningless. Don't don't draw anything from these games. But still listen to the podcast. Still listen to the podcast. We've still got some brilliant hot takes that <laughs> you'll really enjoy. But if if but, any if anybody's drawing too much from yeah. these games, then you know it's, it's exactly the same with preseason every year with Ulster. You know we don't come out of yeah. preseason saying, well, Ulster lost those two games, so they're going to have a dreadful season. Or Ulster won those two games, get ready for a Champions Cup and a Pro Fourteen title. Knee jerk reactions. That's what we're here for. All right, Ireland are going <laughs> to win everything because they beat Italy in a warm up game. Are Samoa going to come third in this scenario? Is that is that what's happening? No, Ireland are going to come third and hold off Russia for fourth. Surely Samoa are better than Russia. Yeah, maybe I've read it wrong. Maybe it's Samoa coming third and Ireland are holding off Russia to finish fourth. I don't think Samoa are great. Um, I wouldn't have said Russia were great. 
<laughs> no, sorry. I think Russia are obviously the worst team, but I don't think Samoa are great. So I think in this worst case scenario, surely Ireland still come third. Well, look, not after the weekend. It's just so much no. doom and gloom for like, absolutely no reason. Too scared of Japan. Everyone Pacific should Nations be scared Cup of Japan. <laughs> they just romped to the Pacific Nations Cup. Like that's I actually a, think been that was probably their worst game. As much as they scored some like YouTube worthy tries, that was probably their worst performance where they handily, handily took care of the USA. Um, Joe Schmidt was asked by one of the Japanese journalists, like, had he been watching Japan? And like asking Joe Schmidt if he's been watching rugby, it's it's a redundant <laughs> question because obviously he has. And he just reeled off reeled off all the names. Like was it perfect pronunciation? Of course it was. <laughs> what a guy. Um, so I think that by the time this rules around, this is only gonna, this is, will only have gotten worse because <laughs> I don't know. I'm just starting to think that Japan are going to win one of these games. It might if be Japan our, gotten warm up with the guy. Like, I mean, like really big. Well, so the, this is the this thing. Is They're playing up. South Africa, so like, when's that? Uh, it's September. Oh, I, like I really hope they beat South Africa just for the so, middle like, time can again. You, can you imagine amazing. what's going to happen if, if they do well against South Africa? <laughs> Who we shouldn't overlook now might be the best team in the world. Well, technically that was Wales for about ten minutes over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. this is the thing. Everyone's getting very worried about Ireland for about six seconds. They were second in the world there until that last England try got chalked off. <laughs> Back up to second. On the like on the ruck speed thing from Donal, there is a possibility that Ireland can't play that way anymore. The rucks, the issue of the ruck speed was a twenty eighteen thing. Sorry, the strength of ruck speed was a twenty eighteen thing, and it's happened so long ago that people have forgotten about it. But like, there's a real argument to be made that Daniel, Dan Levy is Ireland's most or second most important player. Because they can't replace him. Mm. You can't replace Sexton, you can't replace Furlong, you can't replace Murray, and you can't replace Levy. Those are the four, and the drop-off to Levy in terms of what he brings that other people don't is possibly as big as Mm. anybody else. So that quick rock speed that was so integral to the huge possession stats that we saw in the Grand Slam in 2018. Ireland made can't do that. Oh, right, no, let's stop talking about it. That's making me worried now. But maybe, <laughs> maybe they play in a different way. Maybe they kick more, like we saw. Yeah, maybe. If a, if a team is reliant on one tactic that is based on having one player in your team, then they're not a good team. They might be a good team whenever that tactic's working, but as soon as someone neutralises that tactic, they just... they're worthless like so um i i agree actually like i th- i think levy's extremely important to this team and whenever he went down injured and it was a nice he was missing the world cup that was a huge blow for for Ireland. and probably the only person who could replicate that would have been sean o'brien in his prime and i don't think we would have seen it during the world cup but if Sean O'Brien had been available, he was the only person you could say could maybe roll back the years and provide something similar for Ireland. I feel a bit quite sad now. I would still... But Ireland are going to win the World Cup. Well, that's what I <laughs> believed until this podcast. But no, sure, even, if you, sure even if you get to the quarterfinals, you have to play 
New Zealand or South Africa. Yeah, I know, but I thought we were going to win that. <laughs> Against who now? Whenever the draw was made, everyone was like, this is this is so handy. <laughs> Scotland, Japan, South Africa. It couldn't be an easy. Now South Africa are just swatting aside teams. With Wait until they play Japan, John. Wait until they play Japan. I'm well, calling it the Cheslin-Colby effect. When Japan beat them, we should be looking at it and going, oh, great, Ulster and get, Ireland are going to get through the quarterfinal, no bother now, but won't. They'll be saying, oh, I'm not even going to get out of the group. But if, you, lo- if you lose to Japan in the group, then you probably... Don't make it out of the group. Don't make it anyway, you know. I would like to put forward an argument for the Cheslin-Colby effect. Every team he's joined has suddenly become a lot better to lose South Africa. I think it's more the fact that they have, like, 16 test quality forwards. There's also Possibly more than that. Like, it doesn't, you know... But I'm putting it solely down to Cheslin Colby effect. They've got two players in each forward position, and we've seen all of them throughout this rugby championship because they've rotated so much mm-hmm. and they're still just as effective like Razi Rasmus came out this morning and said it's all about um, players taking ownership of what they're doing but the transformation that they've made over the last sort of like 12 months really going back to that um, win against the All Blacks in Wellington last year rather than the draw in Wellington this year has been um it's been big. But when you can let's keep going okay, because right, we'll, right. we've disappeared down a rabbit hole there. Rory Best, you were talking to him down at Carton House last week and he was very nice. So we'll hear a little bit of uh, what he had to say and then we can have a little chat about it. Here's Rory. Rory, I think we're going to start away from the rugby. Whenever you're at Carton House, there's a, two wonderful golf courses here. Have you gotten the chance to experience them yet? Um suppose if Joe Schmidt's listening then oh absolutely not but if he's not listening uh, yeah we get a little bit of downtime we don't get a lot of downtime but it's nice to hop in in the buggies and play a few holes um like ultimately the preparation comes first but it's nice to get away and at the minute I'm very much well up on Connor Murray and um, he's had to change his partner about three or four times I've been playing with Chris Farrell and uh Connor's been buying us a lot of lunches and dinners which is which is very nice how is preparation going? Obviously, you guys get ready for, for the World Cup. How do you guys feel at the moment? Yeah, look, we feel feel great, but at the same time, we have a lot of experience here and a lot of people that have played in World Cups, and you know that this is the time of year when, when everyone feels the same. Everyone has the same number of points, and everyone has been together for maybe five, six weeks. Um, for the Northern Hemisphere teams, we're not playing any rugby, so you're not battered and bruised, and, and you feel great, and you really feel you have a, a great opportunity to, to go to a World Cup and do well, and ultimately for us, Saturday will be, be a test for you know for the starting point of where we're at, because like, ultimately you can run up and down pitches, and you can do the little drills that we're doing, and, and you know sort out all these plans that we want to do at the World Cup, um, and, and, the, and in the, the summer series, but ultimately, you'll come up against another team that will be trying to stop you do those, and, and that is that will be the proof of the pudding. And yeah, no, we're feeling in a good spe- in a good space. Is this the point where you've done so much preparation work in camp, you're just itching to get back on the pitch and actually play? Yeah, it's one of the funny ones where it's not at the point where the because we still have 40, 42 or forty three, whatever there is here, and. You know, there's only 23 can play against Italy and, and they're preparing and the two teams are preparing against each other and then the session finishes and the guys that aren't playing they're kind of 
shifted across to the second pitch to do some more running uh, and it is um, soul destroying being moved across to watch the guys doing a little bit of extras and a few boys kicking balls and catching and passing and you're running intervals up and down the other pitch is not a nice place and all you want to do is be back over there doing what you want to do and that's play rugby. We've heard that you guys have been doing a bit of extras sort of beyond just on the pitch there's been a bit of looking ahead to Japan what you're going to expect first of all have you been to Japan do you know what it's going to be like? Uh, the last time or the only time I was in Japan was in 2004 five uh, when Ireland toured there Simon was playing and he was going to be a second or third cap he was about to win um, so we went over as a family to see it so we were there for a week um, yeah it was I think what I remember about Japan was in Tokyo and having a, a very long and late nightlife was probably about <laughs> about the uh, about the extent of my recollection of Japan. But I haven't been there since. Obviously, quite a few of our squad were there in a couple of years ago with that tour. Um, so I'm largely unaware of what it's going to be like. And to, to be honest, four years ago it was sort of part of my thinking about trying to push for another World Cup was was the venue. Like I've been really lucky to play in three World Cups in France. But we play in a lot, either in European Cup or in Six Nations. Um, then New Zealand, which is very like home, and, and England, which is even more like home. And I looked at Japan and I went, this is a chance to, to go to a World Cup, one of the best things you'll ever play in, but to experience something very, very different in the Japanese culture, because it is going to be a real shock um, because of the everything, the language, the uh, like I say, their culture, even just the amount of people that are going to be on top of you. So um, that was the exciting thing for me four years ago when I made the decision to try to push for this World Cup. And it's hard to believe now that we're we're on the cusp of it and um, hopefully go on to another World Cup. Are you a big sushi man? <sighs> Not overly. Um, <laughs> I do eat it, but I don't love it as much as some of the people. Um, I'll be... Uh, uh, I do enjoy all sorts of food, but ultimately I, I go back to red meat and potatoes. <laughs> True farmer. Yeah. <laughs> I think Simon was the first Irishman to score on Japanese soil. Could we definitely he, there, he yeah. scored definitely in that. Um, it's quite a good try as well. It's like a big break up the sort of few passes that he was involved in, but when somebody was tackled short, I think it was Gervin Dempsey or somebody was tackled short of line, Simon <laughs> appeared. I remember watching it, looking at my dad. Going, what did he do? <laughs> That's a props try oh, where yeah. you take the credit for what it, the rest of the team have done. Um, what's the approach going into Italy? Because I assume you guys, you're wanting to get a few things right. You're wanting to get a bit of chemistry going. But at the same time, much like the other teams, you're not wanting to show your whole hand ahead of the World Cup. I think for us, it's, a, it's about performance now you know we've worked hard and we've, we've got all these base level fitness and we now need to make sure that, that we're good at rugby and I think that when you look back and when you have a coach that's been to a previous World Cup and you have a group of players that have been to one two maybe three World Cups you look and you go it won't just happen first on the 22nd of September we've got to start and we've got to start well and the Italy game there's going to be people that are going to be trying to put their hand up to get selected and all of that and, and ultimately if you don't play to the best of your ability you won't get selected but when you hold back on something that's when you do get injured so for us it is just about taking this treating this as an international game which it is and making sure that 
that we play the best we can and that ultimately that we can get performance and momentum. You mentioned there sort of um, the past World Cups. When you compare them, I mean, how does the, how has the preparation changed over the years? Um, I think we, we do more rugby. Like we started rugby here on day one. Now we're mixing with, with the running and, and the speed work and the weights. But um, remember my first World Cup in 07 was the first two or three weeks. Basically, you ran up and down the pitch, you were in the gym, you did your speed, and then it's like three or four weeks later, it's like, right, here's a, an oval object that you now have to play with as well. Um, and like that has evolved a bit. I think the last World Cup, we definitely, we were doing rugby fairly regularly through the pre-season, but certainly now it has been, and Joe is very good, and the other coaches are very good at getting you, like we'll do as many kilometres in some of Joe's rugby sessions and we will in our interval training, which is, you know, it, it is a, it's a very tough skill to, to master to be able to get that out of a session. So I think that that's been the biggest thing is that rugby is the, is the focus and now coaches have realised you can actually get people fit and do rugby. It's not one or the other. So did you feel inspired after talking to Ireland's captain? He was in good form, yeah. I think all the players are in good form when you get to this stage where especially all the players who know that they're going when you get to the stage that the pre-season aspect of it is over mm. and they're into the game aspect <coughs> sorry I've been really trying, to, really trying to hold that for about 45 minutes <laughs> um, one of the things that he'd sort of spoken about before is the difference in pre-season now where you're still you know you get more of the ball rather than just running lengths running lengths and running lengths but players still like it when you get to this point and there's actual games mm. you know they'll go away to Portugal now and you know one of the things that Rory spoke about was when you get I suppose when you're away in a camp then players are f- not forced forced is the wrong word but you spend so much more time together because when you're leaving you're not you know, going into Dublin and seeing friends or family or whatever, you're away together for the whole duration of the time. And it's good for, I suppose, the, the bonding aspect of it as well as the what will be adjusting to the heat because, you know, we've seen, again, with the sort of bin bags under the, <laughs> under the training tops and stuff of just how much they're thinking about the conditions that they're going to face over there as well. He's going to have to pick up an appetite for sushi, though, pretty soon. Him, and, in trouble. him and me both. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, obviously as a strong supporter of the Northern Irish beef industry, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's probably not a not a heck of a lot of call for sushi yeah, around, around the best it's farm. Might, <laughs> might have a few steaks shipped out to Japan. <laughs> yeah. He picked his uh, five-a-side team as well. He did. Harking back to last week, which the players all seemed to thoroughly enjoy. Well, not the ones that were getting dropped. Well, no, not the ones that get the way it wouldn't hear from Stuart McCloskey. I'm hoping he doesn't know. I'm hoping he doesn't listen. I was, ch- I was chatting to Stuart McCloskey the other day. If you don't ask him about it, the one that I had, <laughs> the one that I had on Twitter was my own one. So and you put him in. He you? thought that he was in it, and then Honestly. he. Well, to be fair, I think he then dropped McCloskey and Gilroy out of mine. Who did McCloskey? Oh, did he? McCluskey dropped himself. Though? Yeah. No, no. He was like, get rid of, get rid of Gilroy and Stockdale, and you're there. Which Stockdale then took offence to, so you know it's. I didn't see all this. Oh, it's a, it's a huge circle, My huge Lord. circle, Garth. Billy of, Burns um, was quite offended he wasn't. People, in as well. b- people being offended that they weren't in various other people. Did you explain teams. that Billy Burns wasn't in because he's a Chelsea fan? I did, yeah. Okay. Well, um, Allison wanted in as well. 
Darren Kiev, uh, he was down at Carton House on Wednesday as well. And he was very adamant that none of the South Africans should be in because they can't play soccer, apparently. <laughs> Did he not see Shabalala's go at the start of the World Cup? Has he never seen that? Um, you probably want to know what Rory Best's favourite side team was, so here it is. I'm allowed to pick management. Oh, yeah. You can if you want. Yeah. Nigel Brady in it. Okay. All day long. Um, I probably would have Billy in it. Um, goalkeeper, I would go with um, Nick Timoney. Um, then I would have outfield. I would have, unfortunately, I'd have to have Gilly. Billy, me, Nigel, John Cooney would be my first sub, but I'd never bring him on because <laughs> he thinks he, well, he actually is not a bad soccer player. But he's nicknamed himself Cooney Guerrero. Yeah, well, he can't. I can't. I just couldn't pick him, so I couldn't. <laughs> unfortunately, I'd be like Alex Ferguson if, if I was coaching him. I'd be kicking the <laughs> kicking the football boot across the changing room at him. Uh, yeah, so just because he'd want to be in and thinks he's the best player, he's not in. You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockus Nationwide. Ulster then. Uh, have we heard much from, from training? I've heard three names that apparently have been the talk of the place from Ulster pre-season training. Do you know who they are? Go on. Yeah, you give them to us. Usually it's us giving the info, but well, have your have your moment. I have a contact. No, like I just heard. So, first of all, new sign Sam Carter. Apparently, an absolute monster. But we probably sort of knew that anyway. But yeah, apparently he's been very impressive, and the boys are all. I think he's amazing. Callum Reed apparently is very much impressed. Could be a big season. Somebody was asking last week, weren't they, about which uh, players could make a big step up this season? He could be one to watch then, and. From left field, this one, still a schoolboy, and still will be a schoolboy for the coming season. Nathan Duke apparently has been taking the place by storm. I'm going to throw in one of the listener questions here, and no, you don't like me doing this, but... You go for it. Um, so okay. just switching roles, I've got the inside info now. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't remember who asked it, but someone asked about the underage squads and who we should be looking out for. <laughs> Richard Murr. Nathan, Nathan Duke is 100% one you should be looking out for as... Someone who is predominantly a nine but can play ten, very much in the room Pinar mold. Um, he's, as Gareth said, you know, guys were raving about his kicking ability on Friday night. They were talking about how he was uh, nailing kicks left, right, and centre. It's incredible. And I know guys at Wallace rave about him how good he is. Um, he's very highly thought of in the Ulster. Uh, academy system i know he, he hasn't got a place yet because he's still in school but they're very high on his potential obviously as the son of neil you know he's had the perfect mentor in terms of uh neil has no doubt been coaching him as he's been growing up he's been helping him whenever he needs any any assistance so he certainly got a very good start and I mean, scrum half is still a position that Ulster need help in. Now, I'm, I'm not for a second saying Nathan Doak is going to be making his Ulster debut this year or anything like that. Far from it. But at the same time, you look at the pathways through for players. Scrum half is still a position where Ulster could use someone who is really pushing Dave Shanahan to be backup scrum half and then potentially pushing John Cooney for starts. So... In terms of a pathway, there is one there for Doak 
or any other scrum half coming through. So he's someone you really want to look out for, maybe really staking a claim <coughs> for an academy spot next year or at the very least sub-academy. What about Callum Reid? Are you uh, surprised or not surprised to hear that? No, not surprised to hear that at all. I think he's um, watching him at school level and that instinct. He was a brilliant player and there was... Um, I think maybe some surprise that he wasn't brought into the academy initially. There was talk that maybe he wanted to travel away, but maybe he wanted to study somewhere else. Um, and that was part of it. But pretty much as soon as you saw him back playing in Ireland, you would expect him to have been brought into the system. And no surprise to see that that happened and that he's been going well because he's a, he's a seriously talented player. And he's someone who can really make an impact if, mm-hmm. if brought up and Sam Carter absolutely no surprise like um, probably signed with expectation I got chatting to Sam Carter on Friday night just off the record and just welcoming him to, to Ulster and he said he's actually been here for a while and he's just been sort of going around the place mm-hmm. sightseeing while he took a bit of time <laughs> off and then apparently he's come into training this or last week for the first time and he's just been an absolute monster. Like he's already it's up. not off the record anymore. Sorry. <laughs> well, I sincerely hope he's not disappointed that I'm praising him for his work ethic and training. Um, but apparently, yeah, he's just up to the speed of everybody else already. And he's, you know, he's stepped in as if he's basically mm-hmm. had no off season. And I suppose you can expect that, given that he's come straight in from Super mm-hmm. Rugby, going getting to the semi final with the Brumbies. So. I suppose he, he still had that match fitness kind of there, but he's a, he's a big one for Ulster during the World Cup and during the Six Nations, you know, when Henderson's away. Um, I, th- I think he's going to be a massive addition to Ulster, and he's someone that a lot of people probably haven't been talking about quite so much. Your, your eyes are drawn to Jack McGrath sort of as a, a bigger signing in terms of Lions and a prop which is always somewhere that Ulster uh, could do with signings in but Carter I think is probably one of the guys who's going to come in and make a huge impact in terms of leadership and on the field ability. He looks like a machine uh, just seeing him on Friday night uh, He's so tall Yeah, like I'm having to look up to talk to him it's... Yeah I look up at basically all of the Ulster <laughs> team bar uh, Michael Larry don't look up Michael um, for you look up to him in a different way. Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> good to see you. Um, on Friday night, then we were, of course, at Lurgan, where the game of two halves was on. Uh, two codes, one community, Armagh Gaelic uh, team, and Ulster Rugby were there doing like a joint training session. Uh, it was great. There were like little uh, inflatable pitches mm. for uh, the Ulster boys were having a, a go at the at Gaelic. It's one of those things where. On the outside, you're walking past calmly, coolly, and you're going, yeah, look at all those cool things for kids. And inside, you're going, <laughs> I want to go. Can I have a go? Can I, I go and play? Go in that wee Gaelic pitch, like the Oh man, it, it looked amazing. Class. There was there was one wee kid who scored an unbelievable goal, like from the halfway line, absolutely <laughs> smashed it in top corner. And I just had to stand there and go, that was amazing. <laughs> he's, um, he's playing inter county next season. He's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it it was a great event. And you can't say enough about how great these okay. events are. I mean, we have to give a lot of credit to Raymond Atchison and the guys at Lurgan for putting it together mm-hmm. because he went to Ulster, I think it was, it was months ago, he went with the idea and said, look, 
we want to do this and Ulster were on board, Armagh were on board and then Lurgan just did so much in terms mm-hmm. of promoting it and it was great to see such a good turnout. They combined it by bringing in a load of stalls from shops in the local area to... And do you know it was there and I didn't know it was there and Regent didn't know it was there but uh, the Boer... The burger, oh, Lou Lilix stuff. Oh, Lou Lilix stuff. Still haven't tried this. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I could have tried it on Friday night, but I didn't. It's, it's really nice. Us. It's really good. Well, let's have a little lesson then as to what exactly it was all about down at Logan Rugby Club. I'm looking at the lads out there trying to kick rugby balls and lads trying to kick uh, Gaelic balls. It's a wee bit different, isn't it? Some differences, but on a wet night in Lurgan, there were plenty of similarities as two sporting codes came together at Pollock Park. Armagh Gaelic football squad joined the Ulster rugby players for an open training session on Friday evening. Over 1,100 supporters and aspiring young stars turned out to see their heroes in action. So, what exactly was it all about? Lurgan rugby captain Lee Allen explains. I suppose everybody sort of know well shoot well some people don't know the history of Lurgan and the divide that has always been between Protestants and Catholic growing up and it was one of the things that this club has recognised as well as many others, not just rugby, both in the Gaelic as well, the connections that they're trying to build between players, trying to break break down that divide between Protestants and Catholics. Um, and the way that they see that is through sport. Over the last number of number of months really, like even getting our guys, like the rugby lads have been down training with the Gaelic guys, Gaelic guys have been training with the rugby lads. And it's been amazing just to see like relationships going between the Cross and Catholics through sport. So what's the sort of the obviously the relationships but what's the, the end goal of all this? The end goal is to see that the the whole thing with like, religion and, and stuff like that, like we don't we don't want to see that as being a barrier in like seeing sport really moving forward throughout Northern Ireland and Ireland and knowing that like, you know, there's players, there's, there's Gaelic guys feel comfortable coming up to play for a rugby team and vice versa going down to, to play for a Gaelic team and actually to see sport really advanced even further throughout, throughout Northern Ireland and knowing that there's a freedom in being able to, being able to do that and, and guys being, being comfortable and being able to put their hand up and say we can play Gaelic or we can play rugby. Host Logan Rugby Club were joined by local GAA clubs St Peter's, St Paul's, Clannagale and Air Oak. Their players took part in a game of two halves as they got to grips with each other's sports. Even Jacob Stockdale had a go. For our Mac captain Rory Grugan, it was a community building exercise that will yield significant results. It's a brilliant initiative that they've come up with like um, in terms of two very forward-thinking um, communities coming together, you know, uh, like how much sport can bring those communities together is brilliant. Like so, you know, in terms of the young people having people to look up to, both in all codes. Like so, if you're talking about rugby with, with Jacob there, and then like, the GA stars that they would have, the likes of Andrew Murn and Stephen Campbell and stuff. Like it's really important that young people have those role models to look up to. But it doesn't matter what community you come from. Like when you see someone like that from the area that you're from. It's something that they aspire to be, and the good thing about sport is that it brings people together no matter what their background. Ulster's Dublin contingent were particularly impressive to the Armagh players, no surprise there. Although Craig Gilroy was one of the few locally based players with previous GA experience. I, I loved playing Gaelic growing up. I was one of those kids that just played everything you know, golf, Gaelic, football, rugby, whatever. Um, some some really great memories playing Gaelic for St Paul's in, in Hollywood. I was just chat, I was chatting to Dan actually before and saying that it's, it's interesting, you know, when, when you're when I was growing up playing playing Gaelic, it's like 
you know, whoever's got a car, whoever's available, to take you to all these different clubs all over the place. And there's there's a big bag of kit, and you're lucky if it gets washed, and it's good to go for the next week. And then you move over to rugby, and it's you know it's it's a little bit different, a little bit more high spec. You know, there's all these X fives waiting to take you somewhere. Um, and it's just it's just it's funny for me to to see that like the similarities and and the differences. Um, and like, I think Gaelic's great, and the GA communities. It's amazing what they what they put into their work and and the crowds they they gather and serious athletes as well you know and I think um it's a it's a bit of a reminder how lucky we are you know that the games our games fully professional and, you know we get we, we get paid and, and we can make a living out of our sport and, and you know these guys are are doing all this unbelievable work and training and, and putting so much time into it and then you know they've they've jobs off the back of it as well and and they've almost two two careers if you will so it's um it's been really good i'm um i'm surprised i haven't done something like this sooner you know and i hope uh i hope it continues um next season and we continue to do things like this all in all it felt like a big night for lurgan but the hope of course is that it's just the start of the town's new sporting future that's pretty much us then. Um, as we said before, well done to everybody at Lurgan Rugby Club for what was uh, a great night and felt like a really momentous occasion for the whole community down there. So well done for that. But that's us for this week. No no other business, sure we don't? No, no other business today. Nothing to report. I was very determined that yeah. there was no other business. Uh, I've just got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we will be back uh, next week to look ahead to Ireland's game against England at Twickenham. So for this week from Adam McKenna. Cheers, guys. Jonathan Bradley. Thank you very much. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special. Brought to you in association with Rima Suomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide.